Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to Ty's Tech Line. I'm your host, Tyler Harrington, and thank you so much for being here. A lot of people, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know that I am a techie kind of guy. I love technical things, I love researching stuff, and half the reason I love doing video and videography as a career is because there's so many technical little elements and things that go into video and video gear and all that types of thing. Well, it's very, very rare that I am able to converse with somebody and just really, really nerd out over cameras and specs and video stuff and just talk about video stuff in general with somebody else who can kind of talk on my level of nerdiness. It just doesn't really happen that often. But in this conversation today, that is exactly what happens. The conversation today, we have Larry Marshall, and Larry is a fellow filmmaker. He is based out of Indiana. We met up with him a couple weeks ago when we were in Indy for the Reset Conference, and he happened to live nearby, so we were able to meet up in person and record this podcast, and we go pretty deep, guys. Like I'm not going to lie. We both are very similar. We found out from... This is actually our first time meeting, but we are very similar in the way that we think and the way that we approach uh, technology and cameras and stuff like that. So we really just kind of went all out and really just nerded out for about an hour here. So that's the conversation you're about to hear. I think it's really great. If you're a filmmaker, hopefully you'll enjoy this. If not, I think that it'll be just good for you guys to see another side of my brain, like all the technical stuff right in there. So here it is, a conversation with Larry. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. All right. So we're here with Larry, Larry Marshall. Larry, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going well. So we are actually recording this podcast live, mm-hmm. which not all of our podcasts are live, but uh, Larry, we are here in Lafayette. Am I saying that right? Lafayette? Yeah, depending on where you're from. How do you say it? I say Lafayette. Lafayette. Yeah. All right, we're in Lafayette, Indiana. And Ash and I are actually here. We're here for the Reset Conference, which is in Indianapolis, but we are down here in Lafayette. Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Lafayette. Lafayette to film a promo film tomorrow. But Larry, we reached... How did you, we, oh yeah, because Ash put something out in our uh, in our newsletter, right? Yeah, she put out like an application. Yeah, no. that's how. That's what you, it was. I, I applied. You saw it, you I saw it the in the in our newsletter, right? That we were going to be in Indy. Yeah, and then you reached out and. And here we are. Yeah. So uh, Larry and I have never met before. This is our first time meeting in real life, but mm-hmm. we have interacted numerous times in second life through so uh, <laughs> through uh, through Facebook and Facebook groups. So Larry, tell people who, real quick who you are, what you do, and uh, what you're all about. Well, I'm a wedding videographer, and I do not do any photo at all, and I love it. I mean, that's what I like to do. Um, I shoot on all types of stuff. I've shot on every type of camera. Pretty much known to man at this point. Um, right. I've been doing a, it since 2005. 2005. Okay. So I feel like that's the reputation I have of you from <laughs> Facebook groups and stuff is that Larry's the guy to know, go to for to ask about any camera because he's probably used it and he has experience <laughs> with it. So um, yeah, Larry and I met in wedding film school. We were you an admin for a while, right? Yeah. We both kind of were. Yeah. And then we both kind of, there's, there's so many away Facebook from groups. It. There's so many right now. There's so many. What are your, what are your thoughts? What is your general, your general thoughts on wedding videographer Facebook groups, the current status of them? I, there's a couple I like at this point as of this recording, which is <laughs> subject recording. to change, <laughs> yeah. but the Wedding Film Academy is what I really enjoy. Yes. And I'm a moderator on that one. Shout out to Jordan Bunch. Shout out to Jordan. Who has another amazing podcast while we're just here plugging stuff. He mm-hmm. has the Wedding Film Academy podcast, which yep. if you're out there in a wedding filmmaker and you're listening to this, you should definitely go listen to that because oh, for sure. he has a, a really great podcast. And yeah, I agree. Jordan's a great guy. He's super, super nice. And I think that, I mean, I don't know why those groups, they just get so... 
egotistical. They, they get, I don't know what the right word is. Full of themselves, and everybody's right, and it just, it just sometimes like big, big fights for no reason. Yeah, yeah. and over, I, over I'm over those things, man. I'm done. I'm done with that stuff. Yeah, so the negativity. I'm not mm-mm. right. So we're starting to start new, and that's one thing I've always thought about you, Larry, too. Is you've always been very positive in these groups and stuff like that. So Thank I you. appreciate your contribution to those groups, but I've uh, I've never really got a chance to like interact with you or chat with you or anything like that. So I'm excited to uh, to kind of pick your brain and learn a little bit more about you. Well, so, it's funny because I actually talk about you to like a few other people. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Tell me more. I'm like, Go on. I'm like, oh, the Harringtons. You guys know Tyler and, and Nash, and and they're like, uh, well, now we do. And so I'm spreading the good word about you. Well, thank, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tight knit little community, but also there's like a million people in there. So, but there's a few people who kind of like rise to the top that you know are mm-hmm. posting consistently and posting good stuff and you know adding adding to the conversation and being helpful. And I think you're you're definitely up there. And we like to think that we are too. You know, we try and add mm-hmm. value to those groups and not negativity or anything like that. So, all right. So tell me a little bit more. So you said you started in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, so how'd you get into the, what, do you have a background in film or anything like that? Yeah, I went, I mean, thing? all the way back in high school, which is when 05 would be, um, we had like a digital media class and we had Panasonic DVX 100 Bs. Um, we had, well, what else do we have? The Canon XL one. I mean, geez, back on mini DV tape. So that's what got me hooked. And okay. then college, I went to Bowling Green State University um, in Northern Ohio and, um, studied telecommunication with a minor in film, okay. moved to Chicago for a couple of years and worked, um, as an editor. And then my wife, uh, got accepted to Purdue university for her PhD, which she's wrapping up. Wow. Good for her. What, so what, what is she studying? Um, she's studying human development and family studies and also gerontology, oh, which no is way. the study of older adults. That's awesome. So Ash actually went, started doing grad school for the same thing, family and marital therapy. For real? Yeah. For real. Ash is in the room, but she doesn't have a mic. So. I looked at her. I know you guys yeah. can tell. You can, so you can make noises, Ash. It's okay. She's laughing. Yeah. So that's interesting. <laughs> that's that's super cool. Yeah. So do you get psychoanalyzed the same way I do? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes yeah. yeah. Yeah, for Great. sure. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, are you... She runs my business too. Like she gives me pointers and tips on, on like little dumb ideas that I have. She'd be like, Larry, that doesn't work. That's not going to work. I'm like, it's totally going to work. It's not gonna work. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so you guys moved here and how is, how's the wedding business here? How is, you shoot mostly in Indy? Do you shoot in I Chicago? I do a lot of Indianapolis and Chicago. Okay. Cause right now we're, what, we're like an hour north. Yeah. Of Indy? You're okay. like an hour and some change yeah. northwest of Indianapolis. And then Chicago is two hours to the north. Okay, so you're kind of like kind of split nice down the middle there. Do you so do you shoot in Chicago? Yeah, like last weekend I drove up, shot a wedding for ten hours, and then drove back. Ah, yes. That was kind of a long day. Um, yeah. I wouldn't normally do that. So, so the funny thing about like, you're talking about the DV, the mini DV tapes and stuff like that. I kind of missed that whole boat because so I did photography in high school. Oh, you I got kn- in after right? I never, dog. I know, I never really <laughs> got into video until way later down the road because you know I started, I did photography in high school, did the film photography thing. See, I didn't even do anything with film photography. Yeah, I mean, I did some photography in high school, but it was just like, hey, digital's here, so let's do that. Right. See, I think actually doing the film photography helped me a lot because it really reinforces everything you've ever known about the exposure triangle Mm -hmm. and it really you know it really makes you hone in on that and learn that and really understand it so for me like all that sort of stuff for photo and for video has always been very comes come very easy for me to understand just because I think of that of that film background Um, but then I did photography all through college and stuff like that I started in photojournalism that wasn't really for me it was too much journalism not enough photo. photo. <laughs> and, uh, so I actually switched and have, I actually have a degree in graphic design, which is sort of random. Um, but I got into video because 
one of my friends wanted me to DJ her wedding. And by DJ, she basically meant like we had a, uh, we were both in a Christian organization on campus and we had a sound system. So she wanted me to bring the sound system to uh-huh. her wedding because I knew how to set it up and then run like a playlist off an iPod. Right. So that's what DJing her wedding meant. Yeah. Uh, but so I had to go to rehearsal dinner because of that. And I had just bought a Canon 60D. Heck yeah. Uh, for, I had one of those too. Yeah. Which is great. So for, for photo stuff and I was like, Hey, this thing shoots video. I should just, you know, I've never, this looks cool. Like I started messing around with that shot of bunch of random clips of the rehearsal dinner, yep. slapped it together with some explosions in the sky, put that on Facebook <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of the rest is history. And one of my friends the next day saw it and was like, dude, that video you made was great. Someone would probably pay you like a thousand dollars for something like that. And I was like a thousand dollars. Like, are you serious? $1,000. And then he was like, yeah, that was great. And I was like, Oh, I was like, okay. So then I was you know, like, okay, I can do both of these. I can do photo and video. Cause apparently this is good. And yeah, it's then, easy. You can do it. And then, uh, you know, a couple months later, one of my friends from youth group, her mom saw it and was like, Hey, my older daughter is getting married. I saw that thing you made. Could mm-hmm. you do that for her wedding? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, sure. Yeah, I guess I'll figure it out. Yeah. So then I started watching every still motion tutorial. Still motion was to ma- the to mankind. Were you, uh, I watched a lot of, I yes, I did a lot of that stuff. I still am, but with Patrick, so yeah. Because he does some new storytelling and all that stuff mm-hmm. now. They're great. Yeah. Um, so how did you make the transition from doing, you know, t- more traditional video work into sort of the wedding world? Oh, I watched Ray Roman's workshop, mm. like a lot of people. On Creative Live? Yes. Yes, I watched that as well. And it was funny because uh, Charlie Hilbrandt, who works in Chicago, like shared with me, he's like, hey man, you got to you gotta check out this workshop. Like this thing is like blowing my mind. And I was like, all right. So I did. And I was like, I'll sit down one morning and I'll just sit and soak it in a little bit. Well, that's like a three day course. Yeah. And there's a lot of content. There. I ended up, I couldn't stop. I couldn't, it's just more, just next, next chapter, next chapter, next chapter, mind blown, probably retained like half of it. And I have since watched it. I mean, a lot. Yeah. I will honestly say I've probably seen, certain scenes up to 10 times like like okay how does he do that what does he do um how are others doing it now and that's what opened the, the floodgates for me yeah so that was super beneficial that and there was a rob adams one that yeah. used to be on there it got taken down i hear there was a little controversy around that one I there was know, i don't know all the details about that one we but, won't go into it but that one was pretty good <laughs> um i watched both of those were super super influential for me as well i remember watching both of those and everything sort of really starting to click because i've been doing the still motion stuff you know watching a lot of the still motion tutorials and learning from them yeah and i know a lot of my style and sort of the way that i approach things definitely comes from having that still motion mindset of story first mm-hmm. you know being very intentional with your life choices and your camera movement and things like that. But then watching Ray, I got a lot more of the practical mm-hmm. side of like how he's actually doing things and where he's standing. And the Rob, Rob Adams one was very much like that too. Like it's a nice one, two, three punch right there. You right. just described how everyone could be successful. Right. Exactly. Just watch those three. Yeah. If you, seriously, if you, it, it, cause okay. Are you a prime shooter? I have been, have been I yeah. currently, I can, I've literally paired my kit down to pretty much two lenses the entire right. day, but, but did you start primes. on primes. I started on Canon zooms and then I moved to primes and then when I switched systems like a billion times, I eventually have now settled on zooms, but I know and believe the prime system of shooting, which is like intentional shooting. You just can't change your frame instantly is super beneficial. Yeah, actually. I I think that if you've shot with primes only for any period of time, like any sustainable period of time, you've kind of got that ingrained in you and you've, and then you can kind of make the switch to zooms 
with intentionality. Yes. But the other way around is a lot harder. Cause yeah. I think that if you just only have ever shot with zooms, it could be a crutch. Yeah. You like, just start, you're just, you're zooming in, zooming out settle. just to get framing. And you're not thinking about, cause I really like about slow motion is I talk about how each lens has a very specific way that it makes the audience feel and has a very different, it conveys different emotions and, mm-hmm. you know, can have a huge impact on the story that you're telling, you know, a 35 feels very different than an 85, even with the same framing. So I feel like oh, yeah. it's really easy to just be standing in a spot and then be like, oh, I want this a little tighter and just like zoom in to, you know, maybe to, to 50 or to 85 or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And now you've completely changed the look and the feel of your shot. Mm-hmm. Just without even thinking about it. So, yeah. And there's some convenience there that makes sense for some situations with weddings yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that. Right. And I think there, so, so for me, like I shoot with the 18 to 35 on my C100 because it's like a, it's one of the widest fast aperture lenses that I can get. It's a 1.8, right? It's a 1.8 all the way through. And there's, it'd be hard to find, you know, I can get a 16 millimeter 2.8. There's not really any 16 millimeter 1.8. Right. So it just makes sense. Yeah. But if I had my choice, I'd probably go with the prime, I guess. I don't know. That's a hard choice. Well, th- that's one of the two lenses I pared down to the 18 oh, okay. to 35 and the 50 to 100. Okay. So let's get into it. We just, yeah. we'll just start talking about it. All okay. Right, so you, you mentioned you switched, switched, uh, systems and stuff a lot. Where did you kind of start? What was the sort of progression and where are you now? Started with Canon. 2000 and, yeah 60d were you on like the we ever on like the 7d or anything like that or you just i skipped of, the 7d i did 60d and then i saved up for the 5d mark 3 okay yeah that was my same thing. and i skipped the mark 2 yep same here um that was exact, that's exactly what yeah. happened. i bought the 60d i almost bought the 5d mark 2 yeah but i was like i know it's coming i know it's, it's coming. coming and i waited and i bought it yeah the day that it, it came like 2013 out. or something 2013 yeah i bought it the day it came out and i've had it ever since it's been Great, I sold mine camera. off recently. I st- we still have it because just for photo stuff. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Since I don't do any photo, I, I ended up letting it go to a photographer. But yeah. Mm. Good old Canon. We'll, so talk Canon. About we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so, so you're Canon. on Canon. And I was then, on Canon. And then um, then the Sony train hit, hit everybody. Jumped on that Sony train. I jumped right onto it. Rode it for one year. And then, Gosh, that's um, so expensive. <laughs> no, I didn't use any of their lenses. Okay. So you're, you're, adapting. I adapted all okay. my glass. Okay. That's good. So I went through three adapters, you know, I know like the quirks of each one and what the flares look like. And you know, if you want flares and if you don't want flares, you want a softer flare, do you want a hard flare? Do you, do you, if you don't want anything, you know, then, then you gotta make sure you get one that has the, the matted felt on the inside to cut down on flares like from meta bones or something. Right. Right. And then I, I uh, was shooting with so a7s2, right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Sony yeah, yeah, a7s2 okay. and that I'd skipped the a7s1, although I rented it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was blending that with my Canon stuff. And then, so there was a crossover there for a while. There's a crossover for every single time I switched systems. It was never, uh, like just jump yeah. into the, the ocean. Like I was like, put my toe in the water, renting and then adapting and then, and never really wanting to like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even that good at getting systems to match, but I'm, I'm aware of all of the like coloring issues and, and sure. baked in looks that you could get stuck with if you're not prepared to mix those manufacturers. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time. It takes, yeah. it just takes planner out. There's no magic like button to do it. There's no, no, magic but there's solution. steps to take if you want to reduce your headaches in post. So yeah. Okay. We're, okay, we're talking about that. Cause I think that's, that's really important. Okay. So you, Sony for a while and then for and about now, a year you said, yeah. So for 2016, I was, I was Sony and then, um, 2017. So last year I switched to uh, Panasonic. Okay. GH5. And now you're all GH5. And now I'm GH5 and for now you're adapt, <laughs> but you're, but you're still adapting. I'm still adapting Canon mount glass. With, 
So you've had your cannon glass all the way through. You, yeah. you carried that all the way I through. I have never gotten rid of my cannon glass. glass and stuff? Yeah. And then, uh, and adapted that for Sony and now I'm adapting that for, um, the micro four third sensor. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So this, okay. This is what I want to talk to you about because the GH five train came in hot and heavy and people have been jumping on that bandwagon like nothing I've ever seen before in my entire life. And I made a video on YouTube. You all He's go, seen some stuff. You all can go look it up. I made a video before the GH5 really, like when it was announced before it came out, mm-hmm. predicting, just in my opinion, I was like, I do not think this is going to be good for weddings. Like, I really don't. I knew people were shooting with the GH4. Yeah. Even with that, I was like, I don't know why it's you, okay. yeah, I don't know why you choose the GH4. Like, the image is fine, it's okay. but it's like, the ISO was so bad. It's pretty then, bad. But then, Every now everybody is on the GH5. Like what it, with that? it feels like everybody. And I'm what like, happened? I feel kind of <laughs> left out. Um, <laughs> cause I'm over here in my C in my C100 world living, living life oh, alone. But what a great camera. The C100 oh, is. A, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, have you ever used the C100 mm-hmm. extensively? Yeah. Or? Yeah. I've shot weddings with it. I've done, um, short films as a first assistant. I'm also, I forgot to mention, I'm also a first AC. That's what I did in Chicago a lot as well. Gotcha. So okay, pulling okay. focus and managing a camera department. And I've done that for two feature films. I should mention that too. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's super important. And you're, are you still doing that or no? Not as much, Not as but much. I'm prepared to jump pretty much right back into gotcha, it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you're the perfect, perfect person to talk to about this because I know you have experience <laughs> with all these different things. Okay. So tell me, why you ended up on the GH5. Like what about the GH5 is so appealing to you? So initially it was how much I enjoyed the straight out of camera color over the Sony. Sony, um, it's very close to Canon colors. It is really the close. closest to Canon colors. It's, probably. It, they, it just gravitates towards like a warmer, um, hue with skin tones. And I think for me, like how I want people to look, and this is going to vary from person to person and, and studio to studio. Like some people love the super cinematic green look that, that you I'll call it that Sony, Sony kind of gives out of the box. Right. Um, it does. I mean, it does, but, uh, it leans green. you can't look at it and not <laughs> say that like, it leans green. I mean, it's a little green, um, <laughs> and brown with, with stuff. Uh, so, but Panasonic, it just, I, I rented it and, um, and I, I had a second shooter who was shooting on it and I was like, man, I'm really digging that, the color right away. And right. I was like, maybe I should give the GH5 a chance, especially since when I saw it in person and I saw how much like they beefed it up from the GH4, like it's the body, significant, yeah, the body is yeah. significantly better, weather sealed and everything. Mm-hmm. And it just, I was like, man, this feels like a nice DSLR, except it's mirrorless. Did the GH4 have in-body image stabilization? No, I don't think it did. I don't think, I think so. And that obviously, that's huge. Yeah, you had that in Sony. You had that on your Sony, but I did. Uh, you know, it, it, steady shot, as it's difference. called on the Sony, it's not as good as the GH5. And from what I understand, the reason is because it's a full-frame sensor, and the body just—they mm-hmm. don't have a lot of room for that sensor to move in there. Right. No, they're they're packing it in. As Where, as they yeah, and they got it. so many features yeah. and stuff in there, and and, and my. In my experience, all my Sony's overheated, which was the ultimate downfall for yes. me and why I stopped trusting those models. You're shooting, you're shooting in 4K? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, the A6300, which is notorious for overheating, I was not shooting in 4K and it's 1080 looks like crap anyway. Yeah. Um, it overheated in that too. And yeah. I'm not talking about outside, I'm talking about like inside air conditioned air conditioned see, environment I've and not, i was well, like man but you're using it as like a b cam yeah yeah see i see i use it as so a it was gimbal running cam. all the time right, right right so i use it as a gimbal it's cam. a great gimbal cam. right and i've never i've had a few instances we shot a wedding in chicago last year in september and it was like 85 degrees for yeah, some, for, some for some strange reason in september 
And um, that day it started overheating on me just from being out in the sun, you know, like those types of things. I had a few Getting the warning light. Yeah. A few instances like that. Where anxiety I, just light. Like, you know, I just shut it off, waited a few seconds, you know, let it kind of cool down, make sure the screen was open. And I kept going. It never stopped me from shooting. I always hate like, Oh, it won't overheat. If you keep the screen out, I'm like, I don't want to worry about it, whether or not I'm remembering <laughs> to move the screen out. Like why right. doesn't it just work all the time? Which is uh, something that I was like, my cannons always did this. No problem. Right. So I why mean, would I, I had, give that up? I had my first cannon overheat on me last year. That's how hot this one wedding was. This is in the Virginia. first I'm hearing of this. It was, in, it was a, it was just Which a cannon. A 60. The 60. 60. The Mark one. 60 Mark one. Yeah. That's why. In the back of a ceremony, <laughs> it was a long, you know, 45 minute to an hour long ceremony in 95 degree heat in the direct sun. Well, I'm not surprised about that. So That's, yeah. So that, yeah. So that was a very see, rare I'm not even talking about right. like, okay, it's 95, you're in the sun and stuff's going to get hot. Right. No, Sony, um, yeah, Sony definitely overheats. But so you've never had any overheat problems with the GH5. Not a one. Even 4K60, all that stuff. Heck no. It's all good. Yeah. Perfect. So that's, yeah. So I don't even know if they have an overheat like symbol and the <laughs> firmware. I don't I'm think they sure have they it. do, but <laughs> I haven't um, seen it. Okay. So the big problem most people have with the GH five and my biggest hindrance with it, you know, obviously it's micro four thirds. So the sensor is significantly smaller than and I adapt. Let's keep this in I mind. I'm that. adapting. Right. Okay. So explain this to me. Cause I've had, I've tried to have this discussion with people on Facebook groups before. I'm just going to confuse it, you more. <laughs> it turns into this literally like I, I asked, a very, I tried to ask what I thought was a very simple, straightforward question. I wasn't trying to be biased right in there. any way. <laughs> you I can't ask a straightforward <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't trying to ask it in a way that would like knock on the GH5. Like I wasn't, I really yeah. was, like had no alternative. People who know you know that you had no ill intention. Yeah, you just yeah, yeah. want to understand. I was like, what was the question? I was, trying, I was trying to explain like, okay, in this shot, right? This is a 200 millimeter lens on my C100, right? So it's the equivalent of like whatever, 320. Like it's the like focal that. length on it says 200 millimeters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It says 200 millimeters on the screen, but it's, you know, 1.6 crop. So it's, you know, whatever. So my question was, okay, on a GH5, mm-hmm. when, but you're using the Metabones adapter, right, like the speed booster. That's what I'm using too, yeah. Is it, because I know that it's like a two times crop for the four third sensor. Like if you're just having straight, straight on the camera, if it's, it's a two native, times crop. Yeah. Right, two times crop. Two X. So then my question was like, is it, would it be the same between your GH5 with the speed booster and my C100 or would it be different? Or does it like, I was just trying to understand where, how does the math work? Yeah. How does math work? And what is the speed booster doing? Like, is it actually reducing it? And then my other, I think my other question was having to do with, this is not a straightforward question. You should not have I'm thought not, this was. I'm, a- not, <laughs> I'm not wording it as well as I, I worded it. Like very, he was more very succinctly on, yeah. on the Facebook post, but and then my other question has to do with light, like because I know that the speed booster is supposed to add like a stop of light. Yeah, but there, see now, now you're now you're confusing me, Larry, because I'm trying to remember what exactly I what I said. I'm All giving right. him the stink Explain eye. Explain to me when you're using the 18 to 35 on yes. your GH5. Yes. What light and distance equivalents are you getting? So the full frame equivalents is it comes out to be about a 25 millimeter to 50 millimeter. Okay, so it's. That's pretty close to what it's like. One point four x. Okay, think, so that's even is less what than, it ends up being. Okay, yeah, like it actually ends up being pretty similar to. It's like a, the sensor size physically feels like, in terms of the field of view, um, less crop than a than the C one hundred. Right. Okay. Um, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so it's less than a APS-C size sensor. Yeah, and then so it fits as far in between as, the APS-C and the full frame. As far as light goes, oh, I remember what my question was. So I think my question was if I'm shooting this at you know, 1200 ISO, 1250 ISO yeah. on my whatever. And I were to put a speed booster on it, would 
what would happen? Like the so basically the ISO, you'd be able to drop. Ideally, you'd be able to drop your ISO. Yeah, because it's just essentially making. Because it's like concentrating in. the light onto the sensor or something. I don't know the, I don't the know the technical terms right, either. Right. I just know that hey, this is what my end result is. The GH five will actually read one point two f stop. Okay, so it'll physically tell you that, even though you know that the lens, the eighteen to thirty five, only goes that was down question. to a one point. But it's not affecting the actual like focal, like the the depth of field or anything like that is not being affected. The depth of field is also being affected. It is being affected. Yeah, because the crop factor is being reduced. So. Um, it's an effect of like kind of around a super 35 sensor. So okay. if you don't have any, uh, if you're just using native glass, the depth of field um, is also 2x. So <clears throat> what looks like a 1.8, I'll use a better one, like 1.4, if you were using 1.4 glass natively mm -hmm. on a GH5. It would look like a 2.8. It would look like a 2.8. That's correct in terms of the depth of field. But the amount of light is still what you would get from a 1.4 but the depth of field is what you'd get from a 2.8. Yeah. Essentially, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Which actually can be an advantage. It can be an advantage. And it, many people, Jordan Bunch, shout out, yeah. like that because you don't need such narrow depth of field constantly. And yet you can have the flexibility of having so much light coming in without it being so narrow. Right. Okay. So for you, when you're shooting dark receptions and things like that, and obviously even if lighting them and whatever, what do you, what yeah. is like your, what are you ending up ISO wise with those 1.8 lenses? Well, since I do lighting, um, I'm in complete control of my ISO. Right. Although I don't want to like, I don't want to make them feel like they're literally being spotlighted, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm usually shooting totally wide open at 1.2. Okay. Uh, 1.2, 1.4. And then I'll sit around 800 to 1,000 ISO. Okay. On the GH5, which is pretty clean. Right. So, yeah, because that's because it can go up to, what's, what's the highest you would push it if you absolutely had to? If I absolutely had to, I would I would go to 6,400, but um, I would only do that in a pinch horrible situation. Right. So, so like, 32 is what's really... What's like the highest usable you think like usable without 30, having to use like denoiser or anything 32 i think 32 okay yeah which is i mean and some people would say 16 which isn't bad i mean honestly 32. which isn't that bad when right? you put it online and there's facebook compression and there's all this stuff it's like people are not going to notice this right. stuff which i was surprised we're looking by. at native files and we're like this looks like crap but right. nobody knows unless it's like high-end corporate work but even still yeah but for high-end corporate work there's no way you're ever shooting at Mm -mm. 3200 ISO and if you are Unless you need it's like rent, an event and then, then you need to rent an A7S Mark II or something yeah, probably. Right, for that crazy high ISO the GH5S right well even yeah do, so do you have a GH5S no but um, I just I didn't shoot on it but Charlie Hillbrandt um, up at Chicago where I was was shooting on it and um, yeah we were it's clean at 64 yeah I've heard because they it's got the weird like dual native ISO thing dual native ISO so cool yeah. so that's the thing about the GH5 that I found very interesting is that there's so many features packed into it people talk about how Sony too packs, many features pe people talk about how Sony <laughs> Sony packs features into their cameras and they, they, they did at the time you know but that was you know the A7S2 came out what three four years ago it's at this a while point, now you know? we're due in the, the A7S3 is coming out probably this any, year any probably any week now it should be yeah. you know it should be matt johnson we're recording this just before nab right maybe right when is nab <laughs> is it next like week next week <laughs> yeah so nab i'm a there's gotta be an a7s3 the a7r3 is already out the a7 three is already a7 three which uh i just i was uh shooting behind the scenes of uh amber and garrett of dynamics shooting on the a7 three yeah, because yeah. they're here in indiana That's so right. they brought me on to shoot behind the scenes footage 
of that. So I saw the A7 How was that? in yeah. action. So what were your impressions on that? Well, I was using the A7S2 to shoot it, and I was like, hey, I wonder how good the dual pixel autofocus is. It's not dual pixel autofocus, that's the Canon term, but it's phase detection, um, which is the same technology. technology. Yeah. Similar. You know, it's a different company. But is it a touchscreen? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I'm that's it's looking good. I mean, it still has issues with backlighting, but... Okay. Um, Dude, it's it's looking fabulous. Have, really, well, how would you compare it to the f- autofocus system on the A sixty three hundred or A sixty five hundred? A sixty five hundred is phase detection. That's when they added it. Um, so it's so it's as good as good as that. Yeah, it's okay. like you see it find the face and you feel good. You feel good that it knows where you want the focus to be. Right. What what are you what are they thinking is going to be added for the A7S? Just the high ISO performance and like what is what why would you They'll not make get it a touch screen? They're going to uh, they're going to upgrade the body to fit the 3 series mm-hmm. and the bigger batteries and all that stuff. Um basically it's going to be the A, the A7 III on steroids we're hoping for 4k 60 we're hoping for 4k 60 okay so that'd be like that's like there's gotta be something to differentiate a 4k 60 full frame would just about make everybody go bananas right because then okay so if that does nobody else is doing that except for canons and that's even cropped at 4k and they've been doing that since the 1dx full frame 4k 60 full frame 4k 60 yeah so if that were to happen if they came out with the a7s three and it shot for, I guess 60. I'm jumping ship again. I like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but you like the colors on, on I do. GH5, right? So I, I do. Think and actually Sony's working on their that. color science as well. I will say it looks like they are continuing to improve that. Yeah. Improve that. Yeah. Because so right now so we so have the C100s, which I do love. Um, so and then great. love the C100. There's so, you on Mark two, Mark uh, one, Mark two and one, Mark one. Oh yeah. So I started with the Mark one. There's some color differences there too. A little bit. Yeah. But I've, I mean, and I'm also bad. shooting with an a6300. So it's like, yeah, it's, that's at least my worries. Yeah. That's um, exactly. So, and then we have the a6300, but I just bought, <laughs> I don't know why I bought the, the crane too. Heck yeah. Because of it's giant for that. Because of freaking <laughs> Matt, because of freaking Matt Johnson. So, but my thought I know, I watched is, that too. my thought is I can put the C100 on the crane too. If I take the grip off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I take the grip off and I balance it very precisely and I bought the extender thing, like yeah. I, I've, I've done it. It's yes, possible. The extra. It feels like tallness. it's about to break off, but I think it's fine. It's within the Do limits. Do you have the two handle or no? Uh, I, I wonder liked, if you'd I, enjoy that. I, I thought about that, but As I feel like once you start approaching a motor's maximum weight that you're like, okay, I, maybe I should have a two, <laughs> two handles. Yeah. I might, I'll have to mess around with it some more, but the only problem is we only have one, C100 Mark II. So I don't know on a wedding day. The reason I love... Oh, your Mark One doesn't have dual pixel? The upgrade? No, no. But even the... the Pay $500 even the Mark, it. Even the Mark, <laughs> the Mark II, it's stuck in the middle. Like, it's just that box in the middle. Oh, I can't that's move true. It you around. can't move it. Yeah, so I wouldn't use it for that. I mean, I'd probably just go back to manually focusing, which I would do on the GH5 anyway, or the A7S2. That's what I'm doing. Um, so my thought is... The reason I bought it is one to use it for the C100 for certain like for corporate stuff and things like that where I I have time to switch back and forth for weddings I love having the dedicated camera the A6300 on the gimbal so I, I think can that's just the way go, to go go back and forth that's the way to go but my question would be okay so I'm I kind of move past the 6300 just because like you said the 1080p the slow mo is so bad like yeah. it's so yeah, soft not ideal I'm matching it with 1080p footage so it's not as you know, drastic noticeable. of, a, of, a, of yeah. a jump, but it still is pretty noticeable. I it's, mean, it's, it is a lot softer and the, the C100, C100 is, is so super sharp. sharp. Right. That's the thing. It's like, it's not like the 1080 from the 5D Mark three where you're like, what is this? This right. is like it's, 720. Right. It's um, just mush. It yeah. is, it, that camera looks great and will continue to look great 
for years. So my so my decision I need to make is would I want to jump up to an A7 III or A7S III yeah. or a GH5? And I feel like if I say if GH5, want the-, the internet will crucify me <laughs> because for some reason people think I have like a vendetta against the GH5. I don't. Like I really don't. Like I yeah. think that it's a great camera. I have some like... I, the thing that gets me mad is like all the it's not even mad it's just funny all these uh discussions yeah they're all arguing with me that about like the difference they're, they're comparing like apples to apples the gh5 versus the c100 yeah right which isn't really fair because they're like oh well like you know the the image quality on this is so much better and i'm like well sure but i have built-in nd filters and like we don't care about a built-in nd right. filters i'm like right. well i don't care about, about like that image quality about thing, like because you know having super crispy yeah. image quality necessarily right because I think it's sharp enough. You know, it's like, but so that's you, what they want to talk about. Maybe just the pros and cons. You know, right. why why get one camera over the other? I mean, they're kind of one is a tiny little mirrorless camera, and the other one is a is a workhorse. You right. know, so it just it's just depending on what it is yeah. that you want. And so for me, in the way that I like to shoot the C100, just makes the most sense. Like I really love shooting with the proper 180 shutter right i just yeah that's just what i shoot so i, I leave it at 140th all day yeah unless i'm shooting 60p i'll jump up to 120 and you just can't really do that with any other camera right so like that's just you know that's a trade-off you know having the built-in nd filters having the dual card slot which yep. i know and a lot of these features those like oh it's on the gh5 too and i'm like well yeah no but like it's, it's kind of like a whole package deal so i have nothing against a gh5 and like hearing you talk about it i'm like hmm that's really interesting yeah you know, that sounds like it's nice. that'd be a really great gimbal camera except except the autofocus focus is pretty terrible right it's you know you know how i said earlier you know i alluded to yeah but i don't want to have to pull my lcd out to have my sony not overheat uh-huh. well there's these autofocus hacks that are coming out for the gh5 mm. and you might be like okay well <laughs> I'm not hacking my camera. This is more like like the new one right now is if you change your shutter, or not your shutter, yes, your shutter to be 1 over 79 instead of 1 over 80. You get better autofocus? Yeah. What? The autofocus is better. No. I'm. You got to see these videos. Like it's proven? It is proven. Oh my gosh. And people are like, I don't know why, but why didn't Panasonic figure this out? Like why are we... Why are we stepping through right. like it's, it's, it's there's a feature called like synchro scan where you can dial in your shutter to like the 10th of a degree. Mm. And so people were just I guess, playing with stuff. it right, to reduce light flicker yeah, yeah. Um, from unruly lights. And um, somebody was like, what if I change it to one over like one over 79 and shoot some stuff? And you can see the autofocus. It's almost like it's it's in hyper mode. It's like way more accurate huh. and you can slow it down. So it's like it, it looks a little bit less, you know, like robotic and what it's doing right but it is much faster and more accurate and and i i i've tested it a little bit not on a job just around the house which isn't like a real test right but they apparently have made it better now is it a good gimbal can no i don't think it's going to really replace anything that has phase detection like it's still contrast based right. so I mean, it just comes down to science i mean i don't know what it is but i i personally would not use autofocus at this point unless it had phase detection and is, i'm so I'm not so, against what autofocus. is so bad about it it's just slow and inaccurate i mean which like, are like the two things the you want by default yeah yeah it's just like it hunts and it, it cause okay. it's contrast based. It has to read the entire scene by going, you know, all the way back and then all the way close. And then it finds 
your it, focus. It does the kind so of, it's yeah. that hunting the 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 strobing effect that people don't like, um, and that's what the sixty three hundred did. Like I would always be shooting for stances, and there'd be like twinkling lights in the background, but they wouldn't be twinkling, but they would look like they are because the contrast detection is constantly reading the scene, and so they're like fibulating. With the sixty three hundred, six, that's what the sixty three hundred huh. because it's contrast based, but a phase detection. Uh, doesn't have to constantly map the entire scene every you know ten times a second. It's just right. it locks on and then it's good to go. See, so, it's funny because I've never had any issues with my sixty three hundred. Never, like I, it's so. You don't bad. have like, any fibulating no, lights. I almost forget. Maybe I had a bad one. Maybe because I I almost forget sometimes that it's focusing like i don't even ever i don't even think about it it just I it doesn't just, always I just look like it's just whenever there's a light in the background go. i just put the camera where i want it to be and i just don't even think about yeah. it i just know that it's and you could be, be like yeah once it sees a face it'll like go to that and i have to i usually turn that off i'm like i don't even need that because that sometimes it messes it up more like i don't know i i, I use you also the, shooting on wide lenses you know with yeah 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 deep depth, so, so yeah i guess that, okay so that's true i'll if use the 10 to 18 on that and that was my jam yeah so i so. i found the 10 i think the 10 to 18 is too wide for me personally it's super wide for my style i can't i've, I've never really shot that wide so i have a really hard it's time jarring. Like, it feels weird yeah. i don't know what to do with it um this past weekend I see so much i was put <laughs> my buddy had rented an a7s2 and i was using my 16 to 35 on on it oh and i was like at 16 it's like yeah i'm like whoa, whoa. I'm like this is weird because i use a 16 <laughs> and 35 on this on the 6300 and it's yeah. perfect you what know it's like, like a 24 to 50 yeah. essentially so it's perfect for a gimbal cam because yeah. 50 is as close as i would you know want to go because you can get some nice tight shots you yeah. can you know get some nice intimate shots and still have you know good control and then 16 i think is wide enough that you can get the full scene everything looks good but it doesn't feel so distorted and in those types of things yeah um with the 10 to 18 you got to be really intentional you got to really pay attention to your lines and and yeah. stuff like that you know i, I wouldn't 10. hover at 10 a lot i would i would like look at a scene with a 10 and be like no more right. than half the time like right. it just doesn't need it unless i'm doing this really dramatic move and this it's always for like room shots and right. and first dances where there's like oh wow like that's amazing but it's a real specialty at that point, I think. For sure, yeah. I just, I just have always found the that sixteen and thirty-five focal length is great, and because I was just using the sixteen on the sixty-three hundred for a long time, the sixteen millimeter prime, um, and having the extra, being able to zoom in just a little bit to get a little bit of variety and just have those tighter shots, I really, really, I really love that. Um, but early, okay, so earlier we were talking about you know lighting and receptions and stuff like that, and that's yeah. another thing that I feel like you're kind of like the king of speech lighting, of uh, you know lighting toasts and, and receptions and I stuff guess. like that. I haven't, I'm not the one who called me that, but I have been called that on a few occasions. I, uh, yeah, you, it's not a self, self-proclaimed title, but I, I, I will give it to you. And you can't do that. People no. have to assign that stuff. No, yeah. No, so I will, I will give it to you. I don't know who else said it, but well, I, thank you. I agree with them. Uh, so talk me through that. What is your, because that's something, okay, this is a, f- a, f- a fun fact for anybody out there who's listening. Ooh. This past year was the first year that I ever used a light during reception. Ooh, and when you start doing that, it's like, it's scary. You're like, yeah. wait. I can put a light here and changes everything. And, and now we have, now I have three. So now I've got to like, <laughs> now I've got all sorts of possibilities. Yes. Last year I just had the one and it was just sort of like, you know, filling the room with light, but now I can be like right. strategic and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah. So t- what is your, what, what gear do you use? And then what is sort of your process? Because you do, and are you looking for something very specific? Cause you have a very, what do you describe it? Cinematic no, yeah, kind of moody. Yeah, I hate to describe anything as cinematic because what is cinematic? Cinematic is the right word. High key. Yeah, it's, it was like high a, contrast. It's a high contrast with a lot of fall off. So the transition between bright to dark is going to be short. That's what I like. Oh, the lights really it's a close. Dramatic is that look. how you're doing that? 
No, they don't have to be close to a, to somebody. Um, just the helps. right angle. Yeah, but um, just it's all about positioning of the light in regards to where they're going to be facing and where your camera is going to be because mm-hmm. they could look evenly lit um, from one angle, but then if you shoot them from the side, you'll see ton of, you'll see a ton of fall off because right, it, it, the light won't shape their face the same way. Um, so what I'm shooting with is right now I have the Practolite 602. I also have the uh, Dito Light or mm-hmm. Dato Light, however people like Everybody to call that. Everybody talks about that one, yeah. Um, I just have the 602 because it uh, is also for now lens and mm-hmm. I have a battery and I don't need to plug in anymore and it's godly. Right, that's nice. Okay, so, so for now, so for anybody who may not know what that means, yeah. it just means you, as you can... You have focusing power of it. Yeah, it has a lens element in uh, in front of the lighting fixture. So, like some guy named Fresnel came up with it a long time ago, and movie lights have been doing that ever since. So, right. um, yeah, it, it allows you, you to focus control, the light, more control flood over and the, spot. Right. Yeah, and you usually use it on more spot than dude. I'll use it on. Flood. I'll whatever, use it. I guess whatever you need. Whatever yeah. the situation calls for. Yeah. Um, but in terms of battery like, would be nice. I can see that. Oh, it's so nice because yeah. I mean, who to have that much throw and be able to put it, drop it anywhere and then not have to gaff tape down your, you know, your extension cable right. or your stinger as it's known in the, in the film world. In the biz. Yeah. In the biz. Uh, but, uh, cause yeah. we, we ran into that problem this past, this past weekend. I knew exactly where I wanted to put my lights. I'm like, Oh, I put one here and here. Yeah. It'll look, it'll look amazing. And, and, and I'm, like, I'm looking around nah, and I'm like, where's there a plug? And they're like, Oh, there's only two plugs. Like the there's only two feeling. plugs. There's only two plugs in the whole room. I'm like, okay, where are they? They're like on the stage, <laughs> and, <laughs> and none like, of them are, are for right. you. And they're like, and the uplighting guy is using all of them. Yeah, because <laughs> like, because he needs every one of them. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, if I give you this extension cord, can we or this you know power strip? Can we work it into your system here so I have <laughs> have a plug? But then I don't have you know I don't have like a 500 foot extension cord. Right. So I'm trying to run it as far as it'll go, and then it's not nearly as far as I want it to go. No. And then, and then you're like, do you what? Do I bring a 50 foot? Because I was bringing like 50 100 foot cable. You know, in the trunk right. in case I need it um, to all these events, and I'm like, you know what? I was like, gonna get a battery. Why don't I get a battery? But I can't yeah. for that light. But you know, the 602 came out, and I did some research into it, and that's a that's a legit light. So I have the 602, and then I also have two torch LEDs, and I have the first generation. I just they haven't broken yet, so I have no need to pr- upgrade to the uh, the 250. The the torch LEDs, whenever I see them on the internet, they look cheap. Are they cheap? Like cheaply made? Yes, is they that, are. The, but, but you've had yours for the a second while. Generation. But you've had yours for a while, and they're fine. I have. There. Every time I turn them over, there's something loose that mm. rattles down like a plinko ah. disc. But uh, but they work great. Do you have like one specific setup just for the toasts, and then another setup for the dance floor, or are you kind of moving them around throughout the night? Or ideally, I don't want to move my lights around. Mm-hmm. Like I want to set it and forget it for the most part. Gotcha. But if the space calls for it, um, I only have three lights. So right. it's the 602. Well, now I have four because the, the dado, but I'm not bringing that. Um, and so I have the two torches and, and the 602. And that's covering pretty much everything from where they'll be standing for the toast all the way to where the couple will be. And then um, depending on where the cake is, sometimes the cake's in the middle of the dance floor. Sometimes it's off in a corner and I'll just bring a... Right. A torch over. Yeah. So that's the nice thing about having the battery, the battery. Everything has got to be like for me now, yeah. everything has got to be mobile and battery powered. I will never buy anything I have to plug in. Like I used to plug in, you know, uh, just batteries from cameras at the reception. Really. Like mm-hmm. I need, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw another 180 bucks at the wall and get three more batteries and be done with that stress. 
Yeah, I need to get... So we have... I got some... I have the Felix P360s, which yeah. I really like. I think they're really great. I love that you can adjust the temperature. They're good for lots of other things that we do as well. They're not battery powered, which is a little bit unfortunate, but yeah. I, I, there's got to be something out there that I can buy. I know there is. That's just like a big battery pack that you can like hang from the light stand that you like plug it into. Yep, that's what I have. You know, that's a Vaga. I have the, the oh. Vagabond Mini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's got two outlets. And how long, and that lasts you the whole For the, whole the 602 at 100% it will last 90 minutes. And I have okay. two of those batteries. Okay. And it clips onto the base of the light stand and right. it kind of acts like a mini sandbag right 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 that's um, what i need to get that's what life. you need to get that's what i need in my life that's what you need um because yeah we had to charge your phone we had that great. problem <laughs> we had that problem last like i said at the last wedding and that was a real bummer because there's nothing you can do right i mean if you can't move the lights beyond a certain point and they want to stand yeah. somewhere for this toast you know um that was one thing i did i also learned from ray roman's workshop that i took a, away from that was yeah his his lighting the way he sets his lights up so that pretty much like for the toast, you know, the bride and groom have light on them. Yeah. Toast group has light on them and a little backlight and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, well that's how I, that's how I started is watching his work and watching all what right. he said and, and then, then adapting it to and then own. being like, okay, so I have a couple things that I like to do. Like I like to light on the other side of their face and then shoot from the opposite side because then the light goes around and it's not just like this, um, you know, boring flat look. Like if you right. shoot on the same side as your light source, it doesn't look good. No, for sure. And then, uh, so for cameras and stuff, are you just on a tripod with a long lens? Do you have multiple multiple shots of the person giving the toast, a uh, bride and groom like reaction cam? Like, what are you sort of doing camera wise? So it, it depends on if I'm working solo or not. And I do work solo at about half my weddings. Okay, wow. With a PA. So right. someone just to stand by a camera and make sure kids don't knock it over. Right. I don't trust them to do any type of exposure framing adjustments um, mm -hmm. other than super basic stuff. Right. But um, for toasts, they would man the, the person talking. Um, and then I would leave an unmanned camera because the couple's not going to move. The unmanned camera on the couple. They're just going right, to stay yeah, that, where they are. I'm not worried about sure. them. But right. if somebody takes a mic you know, off the stand and they're moving around and it's hard, and then at that point I know that the, the PA is going to be having a mini heart attack attack. And so I'm <laughs> going to come over and just man that camera at that point. Right. But normally I'm able to then roam around uh, with a monopod and get all my shots, like creative shots, react, I mean, reactions. I'm like all about the reactions right now. Right. So yeah. that's, that's key. If you don't sure. have reaction shots or you don't have somebody on your team getting reaction shots, you're just kind of missing out on this element of of how others are feeling and reacting to, you know, the funny things or the sad things that are being said. And you know, it, it takes your films to the next level when you've established somebody on like who's on reactions and always put your best creative person on that one. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. Cause yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's true. I am always torn with that because I never, I like to do the main camera angle because like I said, there's, there can be things that go wrong with that and there's certain little nuances. There can be things. a lot of things that go wrong but with then, it too. I also want to be doing reactions at the same time. I'm so. taking a risk when I put a PA on my toaster, but I'm also keeping one eye on the toaster to be like, are they moving around? And then I will come over and I'll check in with them right. and just be like, okay, this frame looks good. And just let them know like this looks good. Are you um, shooting and delivering in 4K or are you shooting in 4K and delivering in 1080? Yes, the latter. Shooting in 4K and delivering in 1080? Yes, the latter. So <laughs> are you framing those a little wider then? Like a little safe, safer, so wider? So I do some like pan so and scan? Can, yeah, or you can just punch in and reframe if you have to. Uh, right. And I have, um, that's the main reason why I'm doing 4k is because, uh, it looks amazing when you downsample it to 1080 right. for delivery. But, um, recently I'm, I'm, um, trying to sell more 4k, 
uh, as a extra add-on for people to upgrade to. Gotcha. And so I'll be delivering in 4K and it looks amazing. Man, it, it does. What's your pitch for that? Like, how are you selling people on the 4K? Up, well, I'm not up, very upgrade. good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the general pitch is like, hey, you know, do you remember the jump from standard definition to high definition? Kind of like, you know, VHS to DVD, like that quality where you're like, holy crap, this looks a lot better. Um, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm, I'm, I do that. But then also like, Hey, everything, even though you don't know what 4k is and most people here in Indiana have no idea what 4k well, is. They, have, they just think it's, they don't like know what better. that is. They just at think all. that it's better image quality. I think. Yeah. Like, you know, they what, don't really what does that understand. mean to them? Like, why should it, like all your stuff looks good as I've been seeing it. And so, but it's like, okay, well let me show you a 4k example. And they always want to see a 4k example. Right. Um, and I'll, and I'll even preface by saying, look, you got to watch this on like your biggest monitor you've got. And, um, cause even then you, you just won't see all of the pixels. And so right. if you want to future proof your wedding, you know, 4k. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So, right. Uh, yeah, I, mm, it's coming. It's definitely coming. I don't think the jump's going to be as significant as going from standard def to maybe it's a white lie. I don't know. I mean, in terms of pixel count, it certainly is. Yeah. 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 It's four times, but, but I think, I think we've kind of zenithed out with what our eyes can discern. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've listened to a bunch of really nerdy talk nerdy tech podcasts talk about that and a lot of it has to do with like how close you are how close you are to the screen and things like that yeah which i think is why the diminishing returns when you're you know at least 20 feet or 10 feet back and 15 feet back you're like yeah the image looks basically the same you can't really see a difference because you can't see pixels that small from that far back once you start getting close up it's like a retina screen on your laptop or on your on your iMac we don't need any more than that you know we don't we honestly don't need many more pixels than 4k so Right. And even that, as you said. Yeah. Everyone talking about like 8K and all that sort of stuff. I'm I mean, not excited for that at all because the, unless your eyeballs against the screen, you're not going to really be like, this looks amazing. Right. The only reason I think 8K is going to be viable going forward is going to be for it's, VR. Yeah. Because it's basically taking the Who knows what that and, pixel count and, is. Right. And splitting that <laughs> across two different screens, essentially, right? You know, across your whole field of vision. Yeah. So that's the only... In the current technology that we can understand in our brains right now, as only reason why like 8K or something that would be like really practical going forward. I think you're. I think 4K is probably gonna be the, the cap for that. And then I guess in theory, if 4K becomes a standard, 6K would become popular for the same reasons of cropping in and yeah, exactly. And Whatever like the that, standard is, a little bit more will always be preferred for options. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that I've kind of been thinking about. It's going to come eventually. Where we're going to have to make the jump to 4K. I think right now my plan oh, is right because the C100 is 1080. Right, the C100 yeah. is 1080. But I always say that it's like, but it's so good. It's good 1080. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, it's not. Like, it's, it's so not, sharp. It's not bad 1080. Okay, here's a serious question for the GH5. Because we've been messing around this whole time. Is the GH5 good or bad in 1080? Like, if if you shot the GH5 in 1080, it's great compared to the C100 in 1080. Would you say they're the same? The GH5 is better. Pretty, pretty, much, the pretty much the same. I'm not okay. sure. I haven't done pixel peeping and I don't like pixel peeping. Yeah, I like looking just, at everything as a whole. It is very sharp. It's not soft like the 6300. It is not nearly, it's nothing like what the 5D Mark III did. I mean, it looks great. Right. Probably because it's a, still an oversample from like a 5.6K sensor down to 1080 and it's right, all done right. in camera. So it looks fantastic. Okay. And in fact, I actually shot probably, I still shoot most of my weddings not in 4K because they came out with a new codec that's all I. So it's even easier to edit. Oh, they so, do have all I know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a 200 megabit uh, codec, and that is available in HD. And if you want to do all I 400 megabit, you can do that. You just have to have a super fast card, right, which right, I don't right. have. Yeah. So my, so my anyway, my Canon upgrade to 4K 
It's imminent. Future plan, <laughs> future future goal is going to be to wait until the C200 drops in price. Yeah. And then it's pick one bit, of those up, high and, up then there move, right now. and then move into that. Because that's what I did with my C100s. I didn't buy any of those new. Yeah. I paid less than 3000 for both of them. That's great. Um, so I just waited two or three years yeah. after they came out and then picked them up. And then, I mean, they've served me really well. They're, you know, they're great for what I need them for. Have you picked and up a C200 yet? Have you played with that camera? No, I really need to. I'm afraid if I start playing around with it, then I'm going to want to buy it. You will. I know. But the thing is, is like, the 4K it's a codec is still weird as well. You know, yeah, it's no, even true. beefier. I don't care about that. Yeah, you don't. It doesn't bother me. C100 users do not, C100 users do not care about the beefiness. No, they have, not a, at all. they have been like adapted to it and they're like, prefer it. I, I bring do on feel, the weight and the crane too. They say. I do feel weird when I use the 6300. If I ever use it on a monopod, it feels for like a fake reason. camera. Yeah. I feel like, Sometimes I'm impressed. Like I, I, I just step back and I look at the 6300 and I'm like, I can't believe that the 4K image I got of this is actually so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's and a it's toy smaller, camera. It's smaller than the lenses it's that like I your use. Yeah. I felt really dumb when I first put it on a gimbal because I was like, this People can't are possibly. Yeah. Yeah. But that was back when gimbals were all the rage and right. wedding guests had never seen a gimbal, but now they've got them on their, you know. Were you ever got a you ever, had the, you ever had the stuff. vest or anything? Did you? The, oh gosh, no. Just the glide. Were you glide cam before? I was glide cam. Yeah, yeah. and um, I switched to gimbal. I I didn't want to switch to gimbal until um, this is another tangent, but I didn't want to switch to gimbal until they were one handled and had good battery life. Yes, and I didn't want to have to connect it to my computer and calibrate it. Yep, I Zion, wanted it to be smart and just work. The and, Zion Crane, I and the Crane One is the first one that it was did just that. it was so good. It came out of nowhere. I mean, that's the thing. And it's people like, were like, what? It's, it's, the same, it's the same kind of thing. It looks like a toy. Like, it looks like there's no way this is real. Like there's no way that this, what you're getting out it's of that magical. is going to be any good. And then you look at the footage and you're like, oh my gosh, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I pulled my, my crane out of the box. I, some people talk about how they had to, you know, calibrate them and do all these different things. Mine worked out of the box. I never did anything. I just I put never the did anything either. It. Yeah. I put the camera on it. I put the 63 on it and I was like, this looks good. This looks great. Let's, let's go. Let's go. This is so much easier. And then you can just set it down wherever you want by the little feet to put on the bottom. And yeah, that's what you have and to you're do. And you're good to go. Cause yeah, I mean, I've used the Ronin and I remember when the Ronin one came out, the original Ronin, I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, this is amazing. Well, it but was, was amazing. But it was so expensive and it was so big and it was so heavy. Yeah. So I never bought it, but I used it a bunch. Like our church had it. I convinced them to buy it because <laughs> they had a was it like $1,400 when I came no, out. Or no, no, it was like 3,500 bucks, but still it's pretty cheap. You know, I mean, Jeez. I mean, it's all relative, I guess. You know, the, yeah. it was the uh, it was the movie, the original movie. The movie that came was five thousand. Was like or super more. expensive. Yeah. yeah. So then, it yeah, was a. It so was then a the deal. Ronin was like, yeah, it was like cheap in comparison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just you use it for five minutes and your arms are just yeah, that's burn. the thing. Just and your back uh, over the course of like a whole event day, it's just gonna. Yeah, it's gonna. You gotta think about your health too. Uh, speaking of gear and you're paying attention to your health, you mentioned that you pared down your gear significantly this year. So what have you, you cut, what did you cut? I'm going to, I'm going to guess you cut Minimalism your slider. is all the rage right now, Tyler. <laughs> Everyone is paring is. down and then everybody's going to pair back up in 2018. It is or all, 2019. it is all the rage. Okay. So what did you, you cut out the, I'm going to guess the slider. I have a six inch slider <laughs> and it fits vertically in my think tank bag. Okay. So it doesn't even have to take up the six inches. There you it go. literally has its own tiny little pocket. Okay, so you still have I a slider. do still have a slider. I just use it for detail shots. Yes. I'm not using it yep. with couples in it or, or anything like that, but for location and detail shots, that's all the move I need. Right. Yeah. I see. I used to do it for the same thing with couples and 
set it on the ground and do all sorts of crazy stuff with it. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't do that I can get that on the, on the crane and I'd rather fire off five shots on the monopod and build a scene rather than struggle to get it balanced on the ground somewhere. Right. Or it would take so long. It to, just, it's yeah. just too and you slow. Can just, you know, like you said, just throw the crane down there and just do a nice. Yeah. And even with the GH five, you can handhold it warp it and you're good to go. All right. So let's, okay. That's, that's an excellent point. Have you cut out monopods from your kit? Are you handholding your GH five for wedding days? Cause I hear that's I'm all the rage. my toe in the water. I hear that's of, all the rage of monopodless, uh, wedding event shooting. I have done preps and even reaction shots without a monopod. So I look exactly like a photographer. Gasp. I know it's not the same. You still, if you still want like rock solid shots, um, I still advise the the monopod. Yes, but I'm glad if that you, you say that. are okay with like a little bit of organic movement in there, then cool. It's it's not going to look like a mistake. Like before, it looked like a mistake. If you handheld like a 50 millimeter on the Mark III or something that isn't stabilized, right? Those jitters drive me nuts. It looks like a you. It looks like you're an amateur, right. and yeah, that's not right. where we're at right now. So we so but I you can but it's do not the same. It's, it's not, the same. not the same. I'm I don't that. think it's yeah. the same. And some people will say, we'll turn on, you know, tripod mode and use, um, tripod mode is a, a stabilization in the GH five, which actually over stabilizes the sensor to act like you're literally not moving. Right. So it's like a little bit more than the regular mode. This was released with firmware too. Um, and then if you get a lens that has it, and then if you, it's only available if you have a native lens. Okay. Gotcha. So it's yeah, strictly yeah. Right. native glass. Do you have any native glass? I have one native glass. And that's what I use for the gimbal. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. a 12 to 35. And per our last conversation, it's an effective 24 to 70 on a full frame in terms of field of view. Right. But then it's giving you a, it's a 2.8 equivalent to an F4 of depth of field. It's a 2.8. So I'd be a five, six, five, six depth of field. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. With the light. It's pretty deep, but that's fine for gimbal. So right, for gimbal, that's fine. Yeah. Cause we shoot with the F4 on, on the 6300. Yeah. And I mean, if you're at 70 millimeters, AKA 35, um, you know, you've compressed it even more and then, you know, you can, you know, do a parallax effect around the couple and it'll blur the background, you know, yeah, well yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. If you have at a, at a enough six. distance from the background, you're, you'll be exactly, good. exactly. But yeah. So um, that's the thing. Uh, people, will argue in Facebook groups that you can handhold a GH5 and it looks the exact same as a monopod, right? They're like, oh, it's, it's the exact same. Like, the it's the exact, exact same. same. I will say that if you're, you're shooting that. at 60p or higher, um, it's more, it is better. Easier to hide it's it. Even, yeah. It's even easier to hide it. But in my opinion, I still don't think it's the same thing as doing monopod. So I still will use monopod um, in most situations. But right. then occasionally I'll, I'll just be like, hey, let's fire off a few test shots here and I'll see if they cut in. I will say what's nice though is you can add you can, you can still move faster. So that's good. Um, and it's easier to kind of push in and pull out and move around. I think, especially if you're holding it close to your chest. So there's still like a different way of shooting, mm -hmm. um, than with the monopod and throw a tiny little bit of warp stabilizer on there and it's, it's good to go. Yeah, it is. But it, again, I agree. Not the same. That's what was my thing. I'm like, it looks fine. Like it looks good. Like it's really impressive that that's handheld, but I can still tell that it's handheld. Like right. you can't, you're not trying to fool me that it's, it's not. And people are like, yeah. Oh, it looks like a slider. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like it looks, it, it looks doesn't really quite smooth. look like that. It, it looks, looks really smooth. smooth it looks intentional, shot, but it doesn't look, but it's not like perfect. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. Okay. So you still have monopods. Um, what else? Did you cut anything else significant out or you just like pared down lenses or 
stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I have uh, the Canon 70 to 200 for when I feel I really need the reach because otherwise I'm on the 50 to 100. And those focal right. lengths come out to be about a 70 to 140 for the 50 to 100. And that's at a 1.2 right. with the speed booster. Okay, yeah. And then um, I don't even know what the 70 to 200 is. It, it's closer. You know, it's, it's right. more it's- along the lines of like... Yeah, it's over 200 because it's a 1.4. So whatever 200 times 1.4 is, don't ask me. Right. Um, but that's what its longest point would be. Maybe. Yeah, so I don't actually know. sounds good. Ballpark. Yeah. So then that's so you only so you have just the three lenses, two the, bodies, um, and and the 12 to 35. I own four lenses. Okay, so four it. lenses, two. And right now I only have lenses. one GH5. Okay. Are you renting? Yeah, and so I'll rent the second one. Um, or a G85, actually. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about that camera I've as cut, well. I've yeah. got the G85, and the, the colors are very close and good, and 4K, so... What led you to that decision, to only own one, just in case you ever jump off again? I would love again? to own two, but yeah. um, we're, we're, we're basically saving to move to California, so okay. we'll... Just no need just to like, buy one. Yeah, yeah, and I just don't have and you too many weddings this year. And then you sold all your other stuff off. Yeah, you're like can, all your Canon bodies. Canon bodies all are the gone. Sony bodies, all that stuff. Sony bodies gone. are gone. Got it. Uh, yep. Interesting. So, okay, if you're not shooting very many weddings, what are you? Are you doing anything else to fill the fill the void? Or just raise your prices. Raise prices, but also, um, yeah, I'm 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 shooting smaller business stuff. Not making a lot of money doing that stuff. Service exchanges, so hmm. um, I don't pay for my gym membership. I just <laughs> there you go. yeah, I just I'll shoot them a video and. And that's that. Nice. That's so, the, I mean, that's money right there. Yeah. Different kind of money. But that makes, yeah. Different that makes kind of sense. money, but it's money that I would have, I definitely would have spent. So for me, there's value in that. And for them, that's actually, I mean, like no sweat for them unless they're hurting for money. But, um, yeah, that, that works out really well. It's kind of like, um, I, I've done surface exchanges for hotels, hmm. um, and, and had a free stay. And for them, it's like, if they're not going to book it out anyway, they're not losing anything right. doing that. Yeah. So tons of value. That's cool. So then last kind of like few just like philosophical questions here. So you've been doing weddings for how long now? A while? My first one was in 05, but I started doing it like under branding and with business in 2013. Okay. So 2013 till now. So you've been doing it for, you know, over, I mean, five plus five to... I'm like a vet now, Five I to guess. ten years or something like that, you know, depending on how you, how you count like it. Something like that. Do you still enjoy shooting weddings? Like, do you I see do. yourself doing that going forward? Is I will, yes. Um, Long term, though, I do see myself transitioning away from weddings at some point, or at least yeah. not having it be my primary source of money, right? which it is definitely right now. Yeah. Because uh, my wife's on a, you know, a little student stipend, basically, you know, poverty line type of stuff as yeah, a grad yeah, student. Yeah. Right. Um, so what I make covers everything else except for the rent. Like she just covers rent. Like if you, right. in terms of like the amount, it's like, yeah, you just cover rent and then I have to make everything else happen. Yeah. I want to probably get away from that. I'd love to move into like a teaching role. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, maybe I might get a master's. I don't know. Nice. But, um, I want, I would love for weddings to eventually be the side gig. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we could talk about where I think the future of, of wedding work is. Let's, I think it's, let's bring it up. <laughs> I want to hear what you got to say. That's well, that's kind of what I was, this is like new development for me because I, you can make a full time job shooting weddings. I just think that with the way things are going and how most people like to work, I don't think it's a sustainable model for most people to shoot weddings that think they can do it long term. Long term. Yeah. Like, like for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're running like a volume brand and like this is what you do and like you're doing four weddings a weekend and you're okay with the Sitting profit margins and- not being 
what they are. Yeah. And, right. and, and not having so, so much control. I just think that the market in general is moving because the gear is so good and you yeah. don't have to try as hard to get the look that brides want. Yep. I think it's easier and easier and easier to get to that good enough look and yep. pay, you know, an eighth the price that I'm going to be asking for. So we either have to figure out how to market ourselves to be, well, we're not just that guy. Like, what do you want? Do you just want, you know, this four minute film? Is that what you want? Then, then the cheapest thing is going to be, yeah, like go with the $2,000 dude. But if you want like an experience of working with me and you have to really sell yourself and the product <clears throat> and offer something that's just different than face value of what it looks like. Yeah. And that's something that we preach a lot because that is the hard thing. You're right. Because the cameras are so good. Like you said, you can buy a G85, which is like, what, like 800 bucks or something like that, like 600 bucks, like all these cameras, you know, the less than a thousand dollars, like the barrier to entry is so low now and the quality is so good that if the only thing that you're selling yourself on and the only value that you're able to associate with your work is the quality, then you're, then you're in big trouble because you're right. Anybody can come in and get yeah. a good camera and, you know, watch Ray Roman on, it's tricky. on yeah. creative live do and, what you did, and come you know? in and, and kind of undercut you. And we've all, we've all kind of been there, right? We all kind of did that at a, at one point or another without even realizing we were doing it. I mean, we were right. just trying to make our, I mean, I remember I was just trying to make the best one I could make and charging whatever I thought was appropriate. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who was like, you should be charging more yeah, or for sure, or you should be charging less because you're, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. So for us, we've always tried to focus on selling ourselves in the experience to the point where, yeah, I mean, we think our films are great, but I'm not, I don't think anybody books us because like you have the best wedding film ever seen on the internet, right? Like that's why I need to have the Harrington's film my wedding because I've never seen a film better than yours. Like, no, like that's not true. Right. There's better films out there than ours. That's just a fact, but there's nobody, better films out there than everybody. Right, I mean, there's literally, even if you're the best, there's somebody who's better or just the style is different. And, and that's every preferred. weekend is different, right? You go to yeah. like some of the best filmmakers out there. I mean, I think of, I was thinking of white and reverie, like there's some of my favorites, yep. but you know, every wedding that they shoot, isn't going to be that epic, amazing wedding that you see on their website. I mean, Obviously, they do a great job every time, but you know, there's so many variables and so many factors that go into and that a is really one great of the wedding things, film. Yeah, consistency across every type of scenario that's thrown at you is something that we also have to hit home. Like, okay, look, if you're going with another company, a volume brand, I'm gonna be honest with you, like, there's a question mark as to what your wedding is gonna look like. There yep. really is. I don't hide any of my work. Every single film I have ever shot is available for someone to watch. So if they want to binge it and I have brides that do that binge everything, yeah. um, they can, and they're going to see hopefully, you know, a quality that it never dips below. Right. You know, although I only have three films on my website, it's easy to find my Facebook and just blast through my we films. Blog, we've blogged every single wedding we've ever shot. Right. Yeah. And they've got the whole separate page that has every single wedding on a, on the blog, on portion. the blog. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you on search the, the, cate the category, whatever, yeah. The Harrington's.com <laughs> backslash the blog. Um, yeah. And I think that that's important. And I think that there's, I don't know. It's, I, I agree. I, I think it's very interesting, but even, even still, I don't think that it's necessarily sustainable for life for like a lifetime. Like I don't see myself it's doing so this. It's so hard years. to do it forever. It's just so, and it's hard to explain to people you why. You don't want to be the Rob Adams of the industry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Rob. I'm kidding. I, I doubt, it's amazing I doubt Rob how Adam, long he's done it. I doubt Rob listens to this podcast, but if he does, he might. This Rob, you're bite. great. You're an inspiration. Um, yeah, he just did an edit cast this morning that I was like checking out. No, and Rob, Rob's work is so good. And I, yeah, I don't know how he does it. He also has a team. 
And, you know, he's, yeah. he's done a really great job working with editors and the team and still being involved in shooting and being involved in the creative process, which is, you know, harder, harder to do. Than hiring. But there's so many people out there who eventually just transition into, into commercial work because the skills that you learn doing weddings yes. are so valuable. And there's yeah. so many things that you learn how to do. You can handle live event wedding and you then all of a sudden anything. you're like able to plan for things. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? Right. You can, can do anything. We can do that again. And the gear that you have and all this, you know, it all, it all transfers over and it all, there's people out there who want that in video for marketing and things like that is becoming so popular these days that, um, it's just a very natural transition. So that's yeah. interesting. I, I love that you shared that, that insight into that because I think that is a, it, it's true. And I don't think that it's necessarily bad. Right. No. Because in the photography world had the same thing happen to them a while back. Yeah. And that's where I think photographers really moved into the client first, like, you know, client-based business, serving mm-hmm. your client, all those types of things, which is somewhere I think personally that the filmmaking industry is behind in. Mm-hmm. I think that the way that we market as filmmakers in general, I think that it is very, I don't know, just a little bit behind. We've always times. been behind what they're it doing. It needs to kind of get... How do we make the amount of money they're making? How get do we up. get the clients they're getting? You know, right. we're, we're still one of the last things that are booked. You know, whether people want to say that's moving up. In my experience, I although I'm booked... Uh, for earlier, a lot of stuff still coming from, you know, photographers and, and planners who, um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's just, this is how it is it's still. And I think it's going to continue to sadly, um, I don't think it's going to improve that much, especially as it becomes even more saturated because we're not even as saturated as the photography market. No, that's true. Nowhere near. And so as it, that starts happening, I just think, and I don't want to be pessimistic about how the industry is going, but I'm just realistic in how I'm thinking. And so you got to start thinking, how can I stay ahead of this right. and turning to how photographers are doing it is a good, smart thing to do. Right. And that's the thing we have the advantage because we shot photo for a really long time, you know, for last year was our first year that we ever ju- we dropped photo and just did video. So we were in both worlds. Oh, that was la- just last year. That last you did. year, wow. this past season was our first season where we actually had two photo weddings at the beginning of the year. And then everything else was video. And that was the first year ever uh, before that. It was about 50, 50 split wow. the, the whole time. So yeah. we learned, and a lot of the people we learned business stuff from and the blogs we read and for, you know, for years and years and years, we're all photographers. So a lot of the way that we run our business and the, the core like basics of our, the, our business and our client experience yeah. come from, from the photography world, which I think gives us a bit of an advantage being in the video world because people don't, they just aren't getting that, you know, and I'm not saying that we're the only ones in the entire video industry, obviously doing that, but yeah. I do think that it's much more common in photography in amongst wedding photographers than it is amongst filmmakers. And I don't know yeah. how to get to that point, but I think you're right. Cause that's the value that that's where the X factor comes in because it's that emotional value. It's if it's what we're able to sell them on. And all the photographers, like all my photographer friends, they tell us like, gosh, you guys, it's so much harder for you guys. You know, you have so much more gear, so much more stuff like yeah, on the wedding we day. We right? It's just so much more stuff to have to deal with and all those things. And not that obviously photography's, you know, video is better than photography. It's not, it's not a matter of better or worse or whatever. It's just like, we have a lot more stuff to do what we need to do. The reality of the situation is that the production is just, there's more stuff to execute our job. Right. And there's usually more post as well. Yes. But and, the and market doesn't always reflect more, that. I think there's more pressure on photographers on a wedding day. There is. Let, to the, perform and keep the timeline and all right, that and stuff. To, and posing is, posing is one of the hardest things. That's part yeah. of like the number one reason we got out of photography it's, is because posing is so hard. Yeah. It's so hard to get people to look natural on camera, to yeah. make them look good. And you know, photographers do tons and tons of stuff that, you know, obviously filmmakers don't have to deal with, and it's just, it's just different. Right. Yeah. But from a value standpoint, like photographers have figured out how to make it so that people associate 
the photography with like this very high value thing. And for some reason, partly is because they do the planning. They do so much of the, the, like the timeline, I think. Right. Which we, again, with something else we try and be really involved in with that whole process. So anyway, uh, we could probably, this is a whole nother podcast episode. We could probably talk about and and go down this and go down this (laughs) tangent, but there dude, this has been a great conversation. We've been able to just nerd out here for a little bit. Dude, We nerded out pretty Pretty hard. hard. Ash is over here. Like (laughs) her eyes are rolling. Her, <laughs> she's now they are. <laughs> you know, she's her head is spinning. She's trying, not trying a to nerd keep up like with what we we're are. doing. No, but uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you appreciate this, the nerdiness, welcome, welcome yeah. to our world. Uh, but Larry, for people out there who want to find you, they want to follow along with you, they want to check out your work. Where can someone follow you and and find find your stuff? Yeah, the business is Marshall Camera Wedding Films. Um, so MarshallCamera.com and Instagram, same uh, Marshall Camera Wedding Films, and then facebook as well so those platforms cool awesome well thanks man this has been an awesome conversation thanks for yeah. uh, thanks for being on thank you thanks for having me all right huge thanks to larry for being on the podcast i guess i loved that conversation so much we actually after this podcast went and got a beer and had a, another hour or two of conversation so uh we've said a lot to talk about and larry and i definitely just we're on the same wavelength when it comes to all this tech and nerdy stuff so hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as i did if you are a fan of the show and you enjoy the show one of the best ways you guys can help us out is to head over to itunes find the podcast and leave us a five-star review if you want to leave a little text comment review that's also super helpful as well but any of those little reviews are going to be super super beneficial in making the podcast seem more legit and people more people do it find the podcast uh like i said uh go follow larry and all his social medias come find me over on instagram at tyler harrington i'd love to hear some feedback if you guys have any questions anything you want to know i would love to be able to answer that for you so thank you guys so much as always for listening this has been ty from ty's tech line and we'll see you next time